So Money, episode 589, Azida Ghanizada, Hollywood actress. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is a successful actress who arrived in Hollywood over a decade ago. She had a one-way ticket and her mom's beaten-up suitcase uh, since then, she's landed many prominent roles, including a lead role in Alphas on the American Sci-Fi Channel. She's also been on Entourage, How I Met Your Mother, Veronica Mars, The Mentalist, and countless other shows. Azita Ganizada joins us from La La Land. Her personal journey is a fascinating one. Her family fled to the U.S. when she was just a baby, seeking asylum to escape war-torn Afghanistan. They settled in Virginia, and while Azita always inspired to be an actress, she was forbidden to do so until finishing school. So after promptly receiving her B.A. in English and Journalism, she left for Hollywood. And that's where our interview begins. What were those first few years auditioning like? How did she afford to live out there? And what do her parents think now of her career choice? Azita is also humanitarian. She focuses on issues surrounding women in war-torn areas, whether it's co-hosting a UN High Commissioner for Refugees fundraiser for World Refugee Day or serving as a global ambassador for womenforwomen.org. Most recently, she's become an advocate for MENA, Middle Eastern North African artists, and has been called on to speak on diversity issues in the media and business. Here we go. Here's Azita Ganizada. Azita Ganizada, welcome to So Money. It's really nice to have you on the show. Somebody from showbiz. I love having actresses and actors on the show. It's always interesting to find out how the real world behind the scenes works. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you, Farnoosh. And uh, I'm excited to dig into the financial woes. <laughs> and highs and lows. Yeah, highs and lows. And yeah. we'll and also... We want to talk about your political work as well. You're not just an actress. You're um, very active in the political refugee community as you have a very personal story related to that. And so let's start maybe first talking about your background. You know, you are an immigrant here. Your parents left, fled the Middle East um, for political, I guess, asylum here and or, ref- or just a, a better life as so many immigrants do. Uh, my parents are in that boat. But I would say, you know, as a Middle Eastern woman and relating to your story, I completely understand how it must have been very challenging to convince your family that this was the career you wanted to pursue, a a career in show business, not a typical path. So tell us how you connected those dots and and how does your family think about where you've landed today? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, we were were asylum seekers um, out of Afghanistan. We were in in Tehran and then back to Afghanistan and then ended up in Washington, D.C., in, in Virginia, actually, which was very different than the Middle East, but actually kind of similar. I got to be honest, the South and the Middle Eastern culture isn't, you know, the, the conservativeness. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I say this to people all the time, you know, 
the way that the conservative culture in the like deep South really reminded me so much of the conservative culture um, from Middle Eastern families that are conservative. It was very similar, same proper traditions, standing up, sitting down, looking after people. It just, it was very, it actually, they mirrored each other um, quite a bit. Um, but yes, we ended up in Virginia and that was a really tough, we took a lot of licks financially um, because my dad was so successful and my mom's dad in Afghanistan was, you know, he was a, a politician. He was a medicine man. Like he was very, they were very wealthy. And then, you know, they came to America and became small business owners and couldn't really handle the market. It was very fast for them, the language differences, the barriers. And there were a lot of ups and downs for us financially, um, growing up, going from one lifestyle to the other kind of immediately. And, um, I watched them really struggle financially, um, with a lot of different things. And, uh, I was very creative and very smart as well. Luckily I was really good at school and, um, I, they wanted me to be, you know, as any kind of immigrant parent does, they want you to like be a doctor, uh, <laughs> or a lawyer or lawyer, yeah. an um, academic, right? Oh, well, yes, an academic, but they saw that I was really, really politically active from a very early age. I grew up with like lobbyists and politicians and I worked on Capitol Hill in high school. I shadowed a congressman um, from Iowa to kind of get to know what Capitol Hill was. It was like my AP English project or something. Um, I just was really curious. And, and I also learned English from Peter Jennings. So they thought maybe that um, I would become a political journalist. Um, but I was the first girl in my family to put myself through school, to college. So anyway, I started working when I was 12. I lied about my age. Um, I like forged documents and got a job because I figured if I had my own money, I wouldn't, people wouldn't tell me what to do. What was your first job? Um, I worked at a doctor's office as a receptionist. At 12? Um, Yeah. I said I was 14 and had a work permit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I did that. And then I worked at Foot Locker. Um, and then I worked, I do the summers, I would work at a tanning salon and then I worked at a hair salon as the receptionist and I worked at Benetton folding sweaters. I mean, you name it, I was willing to work it. I just, I wanted jobs. Um, there's my dad. (laughs) Um, Hi dad. Hey dad. Um, I just wanted to, I wanted to have jobs because I knew if I had my own bank account, then I'd be okay. And I opened a secret bank account. Uh, <laughs> how did you, I don't, how did you well, convince that to the teller to open up? A- I had my mom, I told my mom I wanted to start like a little after school thing. So she helped me open up a bank account, but I kind of controlled the, the depositing and the thing. There's this one bank in Vienna on Maple Avenue. I think it's still there. And I would just go put my like $60 in there and I saved money. Um, I just wanted, I wanted to have my own money. I didn't want to have to ask for money. And it started very early. Um, and even when I went to school to university, I was like, okay, I want to go to university. I need a check for this amount of money for the things, but I'm going to figure out how to get financial aid and scholarships and all of those other things. Um, and my school helped me actually, my high school was really instrumental in helping me sort all those things out because my parents, the language barrier necessarily know 
how to make that happen for me. They couldn't make those dreams really come true. They, they wanted them for me. They expected it of me, but um, I kind of just had to figure it all out on my own. Um, so yeah, so I've been working for a very long time. <laughs> so how did you make the transition to performing and, and being an actor? I know you went to school, you went to college, yeah. not for acting. Um, uh, so what, did you always know that was your path? You wanted to, to pursue this? Yes. I always felt comfortable on a stage. I did it for my first, I was doing plays all through, um, uh, elementary school, but, and in junior high, but when it came to high school, we weren't allowed to do things that would, um, be after school with boys. They were very strict. So did you go to prom by the way? I did. I went to prom. Yes. I did my senior prom. Um, that was I a did. hard sell in my family. You know, at that point, my parents had separated and I was kind of so independent that there wasn't really much um, that they were going to say. Plus, they knew all of my friends so well and everyone was terrified of my dad. So so they called him Alibaba. So, you know, yeah, he felt pretty, you know, he he felt okay with it. Um, He thought my friends were, he thought the guys were just funny. You know, like he didn't take any of them as a big threat, but um yeah, I I had always done it and I wasn't allowed to do it. So I figured I'd go to university and study broadcasting um or English or something. Um and because to be honest with you as a you know person of color in an all white community, the theater people were actually weirder, you know, more weird. I wanted to do the things that fit in. Um I really resisted being an artist for a long time because it would just make me even more different. Right. Um, I get that. I, you know what I mean? Like all the theater people wore capes and were really cool and expressive. <laughs> I not along with them. Like, you know, they were my buds and I was friends with everybody, but you know, to kind of slip into that, no, I, I wanted to be a cheerleader and I wanted to be the president of the school. And I wanted to prove to everybody who asked me if I was an ESL when I was little, that I was an AP English, you know? Mm. Um, and so that was just kind of that little grain of sand inside of me that pushed me to become an overachiever a little bit uh, and not to do something like, you know, the arts, which was like <laughs> just so out there in Virginia, you know, and, and, and Afghanistan. And <laughs> so just just not just not right. But um, I kind of was going to sneak away to New York uh, graduating and I met a friend of mine whose dad lived in Beverly Hills. Um, and he was like, you know, everybody looks like you in, in California. I was like, what do you mean? I'd never seen anybody that looked like me. He's like, there's a whole community of women. Right. that oh. <laughs> talking about the, you know, there's a big. The Shahs of Sunset. Yes, exactly. There's a big Beverly Hills Persian Jewish community. And I was like, what do you mean? People look like me somewhere in Beverly Hills. Like I just like had no idea. And so I was like, you know, I circled a date. I got a job. I worked full time right the gate, like the week after um, I graduated university and I saved money and I circled a date and I told my parents I was moving to California. I bought a one way ticket with no return date. I didn't even own luggage because I'd only been on a plane once before. And I took my mom's busted suitcase from Kabul. And, uh, I, you know, the family that I, you know, went to university with, they had a huge house in the Hollywood Hills in the Doheny Estates. And I was invited to stay with them for the summer. And so I packed a bag and I moved to California. And 
Yeah, that's kind so of in your La La Land chapter began. And it began. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, obviously not a supported choice. My parents knew that I was throwing away what I'd worked so hard to put myself through. At least they assumed that. Um, and even, you know, the family that I, you know, my friend's dad was really like, you know, you're really smart. You shouldn't be an actress. Everybody said you shouldn't do this. This is like, it's horrible. You're going to waste so much of your time, your life, the heartache, the rejection. <laughs> and, uh, I just, you know, I, I just didn't listen. I did take a job. Actually, I worked full time, um, so that I could get myself an apartment and do all of those things and took acting class. I started taking you know, do, working at different conservatories like the Stella Adler Academy and Playhouse West and improv and studied clowning and Michael Chekhov and worked with people from the Moscow School of Art and just kind of threw myself back into that studious side and um, got actually really lucky pretty early, uh, which was odd. I started booking commercials as soon as I made that decision to start doing it full time. I think I booked like six and, you know, within the first like two years, which is kind of unheard of. Um, was I it just, luck or like I know nothing about auditioning in Hollywood. Um, is it luck or is it just uh, you do it enough years or you do it in, in consistently enough? I mean, in two, six bookings in two years does sound like a lot. Um, but it, it is for commercial for somebody who literally knows that. I mean, literally came with a broken suitcase <laughs> from Kabul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't know a single person. And, you know, I just think I had so much joy. I felt free for the first time, really, like not under anyone else's rule of thumb and or judgments or opinions. And I always say that I don't really think my life started until I was in my 20s because I was always trying to fulfill someone else's ideal or prove myself to someone else as opposed to just being in my own skin. And when I was finally free here and could kind of start this La La Land chapter, um, I had so much joy for new. I mean, I was the girl with uh, almost one eyebrow. I mean, I just walk into that room and I'd be like, I'm here to audition, you know, and like, it just must <laughs> charm the, you know, pants off of people because I was just so so incredibly happy. And that energy, I think just made people go her. We want yes. her, you know, like even if I made mistakes, I picked up the thing and smiled and go, I made a mistake. Let's do it again. You know, cause I didn't know any better. Like, I was like you know, <laughs> you're supposed to act cool Azita. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was not cool. I was so <laughs> happy. I, like, I've never been that girl. That's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hot. I'm going to come in there and just like, I was like, I was like, hi, I'm here to act. Like, it just. <laughs> What's the, um, I mean, you said your first six bookings were commercials. That, I hear commercial acting. You can make an entire living just being in commercials. The yeah, income really, is pretty good. I did really well, but, you know, I, I did not. The commercial is all personality. And as I became more into the actual work, I realized that personality doesn't really work for actors um, because your personality will overtake the character you're trying to work on. And so if you come in with your personality a lot of the time and then you're doing something that's very emotional or sharing someone else's story, it can create a conflicted energy. So the further and deeper I got into my work and the more that I studied, I kind of actually didn't fare so well in the commercial world because 
there was a real groundedness that started to occur in the work and me trying to figure out these different characters to, to sell. And, and I actually was lucky in the beginning because for whatever reason, you know, like my first, you know, I was reading for Roland Emmerich, you know, for 10,000 BC and testing with Mark Forster on the, for the kite runner and, and booking these jobs, I'd go on an audition. They go, you know, Azita's not, she's a little green, but does she come in and just do this one line? And I was like, of course. Um, and the casting directors in LA, I, they would just email my name around to other people. So the casting directors kind of like, they're teachers, the Holy grail. Yeah. Like the teachers had taken care of me kind of growing up. Casting directors kind of took that baton when I came here and they all kind of started to protect me a little bit, um, and share my name and, and my joy and my spirit, you know, like, and I came in there and I would do good work. You know, I wouldn't eat it. Obviously they're doing it cause I was coming in there and, and doing good work. And so they really, they really assisted me. I kind of, you know, Oh, any, any little tiny bits of success to them and to people that decided to, Hey, you know what? She's the girl, um, which is kind of really all it is. Um, especially, you know, and where I am right now, it's like, you know, I'm consistently testing or auditioning for things in the bottom three. And it's really just a, you know, she was a little off that day or the other girl's hair is shorter. And we like that for this character. It becomes so, so arbitrary, but specific at the point that I'm at now that, you know, it has to, you have to have some elements of just, you know, the light shines on you at this level. Um, it's kind of like, I liken it to, I tell, I try to explain it to my parents, right? Because they're like, you know, you, it's like when you start, it's like the pyramid, right? It's like a pyramid career. You know, at the bottom, you're like, say you're a doctor and you can intern, right? You can try, maybe you're interning in pediatrics. You decide, no, I want to go to plastics. You know, you just, you want to figure that out. But as you kind of go further and you're at the point where there's like three of you and you're maybe going to publish, it's incredibly competitive Mm -hmm. because you're all incredibly bright. You're at the top of the pyramid. You can't go back and intern. You know, it's hard for me to say, okay, I got to go back and jump into a commercial, although I'd love to. It's not as easy. I can't just jump into one episode here, one episode there, you know, because it's also perception. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of like in this game of Hollywood, there is a little bit of a game you play in that kind of climb of the pyramid. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, when you're at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, you can, you, you get a lot more work. You can do a lot more because you're just willing to do everything and try anything to figure out who you are as an artist. And that helps when you do it, when you're in your teens, not necessarily when you're like maturing in front of everybody as an artist, you make your failures as an older actor, um, which I think it's cuter to do it when you're like 16. You know what I mean? <laughs> what do your parents think now when you tell them when they see you on, you know, alphas or they saw you on entourage or how I met your mother? Like that's yeah. got to be a very special experience for them. You know, I, I don't know that my dad necessarily really understands. My mom is over the moon. I mean, she'll call everybody if I'm on anything. Um, but like I did a, I did a movie this past year, uh, called complete unknown with like Rachel Weiss and Michael Shannon. It's a very, you know, serious film. And, um, it you know, went to Sundance and Amazon purchased it and I speak Farsi in it and all of these other things. And, uh, 
she was like, I, you know, I was like, Oh, do you want to watch it? And she wanted to come to the theater. And then I, you know, I put it on for her and she just checked out. It was like too serious for her, but the fun splashy, you know, not the artsy stuff, but the splashy castle and how, I mean, they just giggle. They love it. I, th- I mean, I could literally played like a stripper or a dominatrix and she's like, Oh, you look so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't care. You know what I mean? So long as I look pretty, it's all that matters. Right. But right. They're, they're incredibly proud. I think that when they talk to other people who, whose children have the same aspirations and can't even get an agent or, you know what I mean? Like they're so far removed. My parents are like, well, I don't know how she did it. I have no idea. And, and that's the truth. <laughs> the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24 7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you, and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. And would you even be able to answer that affirmatively? I mean, it's like I took a chance. I went out to Hollywood. I shacked up with my roommate from college and then I did some auditions for commercials, charm the pants off them, and uh, the casting directors liked me too, so that helped. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that you either, I think it's either somewhere in you or it's not. Uh, And I think that anybody can actually become a good actor, and if they really, really put their heart into it, and they work hard, and they, you know, do their due diligence in theater, and, and study all the different things and, and really kind of immerse themselves in it. You know, I realized when I was, that I was shorthanded because I didn't grow up in the business. You know, my, you know, very robust social life disappeared into me staying up all night and watching the AFI top 100 and really kind of just getting a film education, um, to kind of like a boot camp for a couple years. I mean, I really, really threw myself in and I'm very diligent with the work I do. Um, you know, much like an immigrant would in any job that they take on, I'm always more prepared. I'm, I'm always off book. I'm always ready to kind of figure it out. Um, even more so now that I've gotten older, you know, as I'm maturing in the business, I just think you have to work a lot harder if you weren't raised here, if you didn't, if you haven't been here since you were little, you really, really have to put it in. So, I mean, I, I go and talk at different schools and try to, you know, empower the actors to do their best. And, you know, auditioning is a really tricky thing. It's a whole different beast. So it's, uh, it's different than when you get on set, you know, there's, it's just, it's, it's a very, 
it's a tricky little animal. It's fun. You know, if you can figure out how to play with it and have a great time and you're confident in yourself and your work, you know, you're going to be okay. But I don't know that there's, I think it's either some, I think people are going to respond to you or they're not. And that's just kind of what it is. Um, and I was lucky enough to have people respond to me. I remember in La La Land when she's going in and doing this really sad scene where she's crying and they're they they're like okay whatever I mean that there was like an interruption and they didn't even I mean is it that way sometimes where you feel like you're giving it your all and you're just not being welcomed or heard or really respected in those auditions and often honestly how much of that can you really take no not not so not not for me anymore um I feel like there there are those occasions where you know somebody is rude um like and by the way, they've seen a thousand people and they're just, they have no idea what to expect. And most of the right. time when that happens, it's because they have an offer out to the girl that they want to hire and they're just waiting, but they have to, they have to, you know, protect themselves and read people just in case they don't get that offer. And that's why people are just kind of great. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, and you know, that's, and that's, that's part of the brutality of it. Cause you put in all this time and they already have an offer in the door. So they're just kind of like, Oh, great. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, you're good. Great. Thanks. Bye. Um, but you know, I haven't, I've had, I remember a long time ago, like somebody was like laying on his couch and like looking out the window and, and like the casting directors like looked at me, they were like, Oh no, like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? I, but I was like, is this guy serious? You know what I mean? Cause like, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I just was like, hello, like, you know, I, and if I never get that person never wants to work with me again, I don't want to work with you. You know what I mean? Like I just, that's not my tribe anyway. So I'm not desperate or thirsty for that. Like if somebody's going to shut the door like that, then I'm like, well, obviously you know, not everybody's joy and love. Like there's a lot of darkness in, in the business and in any business, you know? And so you just kind of got to go, okay, that's not my tribe. I don't vibe with those people that I don't, I don't understand that. So that's not who I'm going to work right. with anyway. It, you know, it's, you bring up an interesting point, which is like when you're, I think it's great and refreshing to hear you say that because it almost seems like when you are climbing up the ranks in Hollywood and you're starting out and going to many auditions that you don't really have a lot of power. You don't really have a lot of choice. Um, but you do have the choice to sort of respect yourself, right? And to, like you said, kind of identify whose tribe you're going to be in and whose tribe you're not. You know, from a financial perspective, you probably can't really negotiate much at that level, or can you? If you do get the role, no. I mean, really, you know, especially as a beginning actor, and I think just as an actor in general who's not a creator, I think that you know, you do, you bring in what your innate essence is and what your quality is that you can bring that's different than anybody else, and you are a a collaborator you know, this isn't, you aren't that you are the CEO of how you operate yourself on set and in that room and in the scene. Um, and you know, through series or through arc, but really you're a collaborator, you're a piece of what the director wants and the writers have created. And even there more so it goes above to maybe what the network wants or the studio is going to, and you can have strong ideas. I mean, if something really pushes your morals or, you know what I mean? You, you, you should definitely, 
say this, you know, I'm not comfortable in this space. Otherwise, you know, when I've, when I was younger, I'd be like, Oh, well, I don't think this would happen. Or would she do that? And really that was just, you know, I'm not writing in it. You know, there are 10 very skilled writers (laughs) that have come up with arc and, you know, maybe they make some mistakes or maybe they're writing quickly. The pace and TV is very fast, but really you're just there to just make sense of that piece of it because you're the CEO of your life only. You're not the boss of the whole show. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So you kind of have to, you have to do all the self work. It's like, I always say that actors are professional human beings. Like we really, you really have to know how to really take care of that, that space on the page and bring that to life. And then you're giving your part of the gift. And then you kind of got to walk away from the project because unless you're created it and made it, it's not your responsibility or even your need to worry about how it does or what happens to it afterwards. Cause it's someone, it's a director, it's a network, it's a studio. It's like you hope for the best and you're there and you want to do anything you can to help them, um, as a part of that collaborator. But you really are, it's a collaboration. And, and once you figure that out, I think you kind of realize like how to, you know, live in that space and bring a thousand percent to that space, you know, instead of saying, you know, like younger actors, oh, I only have like one page in this thing. It's like that one page means something, you know, that one Mm -hmm. page gets someone to the next scene or those four lines you might have sets up a joke that, you know, everybody's going to remember. And, and, you know, actors like, I want to be the joke. It's like, well, you're not there yet. You know what I mean? Like you'll get there if you know how to be in that space. And if you really commit to that, people are going to see that they're going to recognize that. Um, so again, it's about not resisting where you are and really kind of owning that and living in that space. What would be your advice to yourself? How many years ago now have you been in Hollywood? Like, um, it's, I've probably been acting here now for about 13 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Cause I mean, it's time flies, right? <laughs> 13 years ago, what would you have told yourself? Um, or what would you tell someone now that's eager, that's listening to you, eager to move out to Hollywood and strike out on their own as a, as a performer? What specific financial advice would you give this person? Um, in terms of how to make ends meet, how to any anything money related that they should know about when they move out there, and in particular pursuing this path. Well, I definitely think that they have to have as much money in them that, that they can save or have, so that they have a cushion. Because you know, it it is you know when people think that actors make so much money, and they do when they work, but there are long periods where they don't work. You know, they might not work for a year or two years, but then they'll work and they'll make enough money to cover the last two years or to catch up and stuff. And so that's kind of, you know, that's the way the the scales balance often. Um, But, you know, any young actor, I would say, have a job, you know, um, have a job that gives you space. And if it's something like I, I wasn't ever able to work really in the bar industry because I was so bright and, and went to college and, and I never, ever worked in a restaurant. So I wrote people's press releases. You know, I did some freelance work for magazines. You know, I I just took writing gigs because I had that English degree. I used that so that I could, you know, do that in my free time. And then 
you know, go to my auditions and really be 100% committed to that and not be tired from being at a restaurant, you know, it, that would have really kind of maybe drained me personally. So I used what I was really good at. And I would say that if you have a skill, use that skill. Mm. So if, you know, you, you have like a small business, you can make dresses, you know what I mean? Whatever it is that maybe you're talented at, if you're blogging, like, you know, that's a big, that's a big business right now too. Um, definitely you have to make ends meet, but you have to leave that day open. And if you're not, um, working, you have to treat the day as if you, you have to live it in the vibration that you want to see your life in. So it doesn't mean you sleep until, 11, you know, young, younger actors, you get up and you go work out and you read a play and you go to class, you know, you, you, and then you go to your job and you know what I mean? You, you have to live your life in a vibration that will mirror the kind of work ethic you'll have as an actor. Cause that's what the best actors have. You know, you, you work 16 hour days when you are filming and if you can't manage that, then you're never going to, you know, if you complain about that, you're never going to succeed. Right. Uh, well, part of that, part of that good vibration is surrounding yourself with the right people. And in Hollywood, as in many industries, it is who, you know, sometimes to help you connect the dots or help you meet new opportunities. So, um, any advice in that realm, how do you find the right network? Well, the one thing I would have told my younger self is to, to empower mentorship. I didn't really have a mentor. I never had an actress that was a mentor. I had someone in my life that was incredibly supportive and that knew so much about the business, but if anything, they scared me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like they didn't really encourage me and show me different inroads. You know, they kind of said, well, I don't know. It's really hard, but this is who this person is and this is who that is. And, you know, I think I would have, and I still, to the, I would like mentorship now. I try to give it, to be honest with you. I try to provide it for others because I wish I had had it. Um, I would say you have to find someone who's, who's in the business, who has worked, is somewhere connected and can be a sounding board and somewhat familial to you in this environment. Um, and also, you know, people make their friends in classes, you know, they, they see that. And if you are a competitive person and see someone else's success and that affects you, you're not going to have a, a strong circle because the more successful the people are around you, that's where your vibration goes. And, you know, anyone says that Tony Robbins says that, you know what I mean? It's just, it's right. the bottom line. So if you're so consumed in self, as opposed to in community, you're not going to go very far. You might for a little while, but you'll tumble. You really need community uh, in any business. You really need to partner up and, and applaud and support all the other CEOs or all the other moms that are working or, you know, the, your fellow actresses that are, you know, hitting successes. You have to really kind of be in there and be a champion because that same energy will then surround you. Before we go, I want to talk a little bit about your philanthropic side and your political activism. You're the, um, you serve as a global ambassador for women for women. And, um, tell us how that whole side of your life started. I mean, um, obviously it seems like a real natural kind of migration for you, but, um, how much of it, how much of your time does this take up? And is this something that you think would turn into something bigger? Like, do you want to maybe at, at any point, would you leave acting to do this full time? You know, the, so I've always been a humanitarian. My advocacy work in the last year has become incredibly intense <laughs> um, because persons from uh, my area of the world have 
been demonized a little bit. And so my advocacy work where it's always been for women and, and those that can't speak for themselves, the refugees, which always have held a special place in my heart, something as simple as providing soccer balls to humanize a group of children gives me so much joy. And I just felt like that was something I always needed to do because I was educated about them from day one. Like my life was always politicized. I've never just had a normal childhood. Uh, and I, I definitely spent that time being a humanitarian. Now it's kind of, as I've noticed in the last, in the climate of the last couple of years and in the climate of diversity, um, which is such a big buzzword that somewhere Middle Eastern North African actors have fallen in the cracks of that because they're considered Caucasian by most of the studios and networks. They're not even really considered diverse. So even though the storyline is being dramatized the most, we're going into our fourth decade of war and instability in that area. And you see a lot of that, these war stories and, and, you know, ticking time bomb stories around that region of the world you know, they're not even necessarily employing actors from that area of the world to be the hero. They're not really seeing us in that way. So, so I've been kind of spending the last couple of years focused on advocating the images that I know as a woman from that area of the world, which isn't a woman covered in a headscarf, which are very empowered women that wore fancy outfits and, you know, uh, you know, did run a home or, or whatnot, men in suits and, just more of the progressive side of that culture. Um, and right now that's really important to me to continue to share that because I don't want the world to have uh, a limited perspective on what that region of the world is. And yeah, the advocacy work for me is important, but also because I feel like no one else is speaking up about it. So (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, I don't think I would ever leave being an actor. I think I'll always be an actor. It's just, it's in my it's in my bones. Um, but it is something that I think I could do well if the right opportunity presented itself to me, I'd be happy to take on some leadership roles with that. Although I have been doing more recently with Bo Willimon's action group network, uh, the creative house of cards did something and I've been leading one of his groups out here and it's definitely a time consumer, uh, time consuming, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I think it's important. I think, you know, giving is part of learning how to receive. Um, and I think if you know how to take care of something and know how to organize and lead that you should try to do it to help and benefit others as best as you can. So it's just my makeup. And Mm. you know what I mean? I just don't know. I just, I can't see something like that and just not do something about it. It's just the way. Um, but my perspective, it's my point of view. So, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to think the same way I do. I would just, you know, would love to implore and educate people in the way that maybe I see the world. Well, I love that you're taking your, you know, your public platform and using it to such great good. And no doubt you would be doing this anyway, but it's always nice to see people who have influence to share some of that influence in really meaningful ways. Um, so we'll be looking out for you. Tell us where we can see you these days all over the place, right? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, there's a movie on Amazon that came out last year and we've got a song right now. We actually on Amazon's series, I love Dick. We actually had a really cool little Afghan storyline, uh, for the band that they cast in the show, uh, and unfortunately it got cut out because this, the episode, the season order went from 10 to eight. So 
but the song is in there, which was really cool because I've never gotten to work or collaborate on a song and, um, and, and also get to, you know, help them write it in Dari and, and figure out how to do that with a group of, of very, very talented, um, producers and songwriters. So, uh, you know, so that's kind of where I am and, and I'm out there professionally auditioning and testing for series. So, you know, you guys will see me on something very soon. <laughs> Ooh, all right. We're excited. Um, and wishing you continued good luck. And, you know, it's part luck, but it's also who you are, too. And, and you are very special. Thank you so much, Azita, for coming on. So money. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> I had this whole plan of speaking, doing this whole interview in Farsi, but I would, I would, I would fail miserably well, and also nobody would understand what you we were saying so that would yeah, be so i speak farsi like an afghan like a little person yes my parents say i speak farsi with an armenian accent what does that even mean i have no idea i've never heard an armenian <laughs> anyway lots of love to the east coast i miss it Let's kiss it hello for me Thanks so much to Azita for stopping by. If you'd like to follow her on Twitter, she's at Azita Ganizada. All this info back at SoMoneyPodcast.com. And if you'd like to leave a question for me for the Friday episodes, just click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.